0: Psalm chapter 1. Uh, next week we're going to be starting in the Gospel of John. And we're going, to be, we're going to be in that for a while. So you're going to have to buckle up for that. That's going to take us through uh, probably almost the entire this, this year and then the rest of next year. But today we're going to be in Psalm 1. So if you don't know what the Psalms even means, maybe we've been going through this series and you're like, man, we say we have a lot of these words and I don't even know what they mean. And Ronnie, you probably should have said what you're about to say in the first week. It's like, well, maybe, but I saved the best for last, maybe. Um, But the word Psalm, what the word Psalm actually means is it comes from a Greek word. That means the plucking of strings. So the Psalms, really, as you read them, and, and hopefully this series has inspired you to go back into them as a way to you know, kind of connect with how it is that you're supposed to approach God and how it is that we, we put our lives before the Lord and, and what we're allowed to say and, and what we're allowed to lay before him, which is, by the way, what we've learned is everything. Everything. But the Psalms are a collection of really of worship songs and prayers. And so when you read them, you can get the sense of that as the way that they're sort of structured and the way they're laid out. And and Psalm 1 here, there's different types of Psalms, different categories of Psalms. Psalm 1 is referred to as one of the wisdom Psalms. And we think of wisdom, what we're really aiming at here is that we get practical direction for daily living while in pursuit of God. And so Psalm 1, another way to put it, would be a design for a life that is blueprinted by God himself. So a life blueprinted by God himself, that's what we get when we read Psalm 1 and some of the other wisdom psalms. What we're gonna see today is a contrast. And we're gonna see the contrast between what's called the prosperous path of the righteous versus the perishable path of the wicked And then we're going to be honest about what path we are on, okay? When you read books like Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, these books that are considered, they're called wisdom literature. They're the wisdom literature of the Bible. What you'll find is that really what they do in a practical way is they speak into the vast amount of choices that you have all lying before you. And that all choices and the consequences of those choices only ever place us on one of two paths. And so the Psalms kind of, they they don't make our lives less complex, right? In fact, they speak to the complexities that are just always kind of boiling over inside of us. But they do kind of give us clarity to say, hey, we are either seeking the Lord um, in all of the things that are swirling around us and moving throughout our lives, or we are just following our own desires, We're just following our own whims. We're just people that are just being deceived into thinking that we know where it is that we are supposed to go. And the Bible's made it clear that in fact, we actually don't really have that big of a clue of that unless we are looking at the path we're on through the eyes of God so that we can gain a particular kind of wisdom to know what kind of decisions not only please him, but those kind of decisions that please him are the ones that actually fulfill us. And they give us a sense of joy and happiness. My dad had these two friends uh, growing up. They were his closest friends. One of them was this guy, and he he just had this disaster of a life. And um, he was uh, just... Drinking, heavy drug use, reckless living. This was a friend of my dad's who was just in and out of prison most of his life. Um, And my dad had another friend that he'd grown up with who was equally as close to. And this guy was the opposite. He, man, he just was just characteristic of being just the greatest guy you'd ever met. I love this guy. He was like an uncle to me. Clean living, good father, good morals. Um, What was interesting about both these guys is that although there were different consequences for the life choices they made, ironically enough, they were both on the same path. Why is that? How is that? Well, they're both on the same path because neither of those paths had Jesus leading them down them. Right? And then by contrast, you had my dad, right, who was just a disaster of a man who God saved. I mean, just a disaster of a guy whose life was in shambles before God saved him. And yet he was on a road that was filled with wisdom and good fruits because Jesus had delivered him from the path that his friends were on. So now if you were to look at, had his other friend that I described who looked all great on the outside, you would have thought, hey, him and my dad, man, they look like they're kind of traveling down the same path, except in fact, they, they weren't. And if you went deep enough, you saw that the contrast was wide. And so what Psalm 1 is going to surface for us are these two questions, okay? The first one is this, what path are you on? What path are you on? And then the second one that's connected to that by extension is, what kind of future does the path that you're on have for you? What is the future that that path has for you? Proverbs 14:12 tells us, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So we want to be thoughtful this morning. Um, we want to consider what we might be blind to in terms of where we are heading in our lives. All right. And what I want to do before we start, before we read is I want to pray for us um, that the Lord would open our mind to those things. So Lord, we just pray for that right now. Um, I am just a man that is going to be speaking your words. So I need a lot of help and Lord, we need help in our hearts to receive some things that we may have been blind to. Um, So Lord, Let this psalm, your words, reveal to us what our hearts need to hear about who you are so that we can be on a path that is pursuing you and receiving from you all the benefits that come from that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 in Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So that's the word of the Lord for us today. So you see here that the psalmist starts with this line, blessed is the man or blessed is the person. What does that word blessed actually mean? We read this word all over, it's all over scripture. Blessed is the person this, blessed is the person that. What does that actually mean when it says that, right? We're not talking hashtag blessed, right? That's not what it means. Right, It's not the obligatory follow-up to someone sneezing. It has to mean something more than that for us, right? And it, and it does. Another translation actually says blessed means this, happy. Like, say it like this, happy is the man or woman as we kick this off. Maybe that gives you a little more clarity when we think of what that word blessed actually means, which is to enjoy God's special favor and grace upon your life, which leads to happiness. And not not just this sort of like flighty, frivolous, sort of thin layer of like sheet cake kind of happiness, which we tend to think of when we think of happiness, but like a deep depth of joy that springs out of a person because they know who they are based on who God is and what God has done to save them and change them and love them, and sanctify them. Does that make sense? To be blessed means to enjoy God's special favor and grace upon your life. That's what the psalmist is doing right from the beginning, right from those first four words, which is to reach into the depths of what will actually fulfill a person's innermost desire to be happy your innermost desire to experience satisfaction, your innermost desire to find meaning in life. Like there ain't none of y'all that doesn't wanna find that, that doesn't wanna be locked step into that. You want that. It's impossible that that is not the desire of your life. You have a God-given desire to be fulfilled, to be satisfied, to be happy. You are not most holy when you are most miserable, right? Some of us kind of think that, right? Or we grew up in churches where, you know, it was kind of stoic and, you know, you know, kind of walking down the path of righteousness was something that you had to be kind of slightly miserable about as you're working yourself through the paces. Well, that's just not what we get from Scripture at all, right? We get, we get the opposite of that, actually. And that's what the psalmist is driving at from the beginning here of Psalm 1. The man or woman who enjoys God's blessing in their lives is one who is actively pursuing God, actively pursuing Jesus Christ. And here's how he describes it as we move on in, in verse one. He says, Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So then, what does it mean, then, to be on a righteous path? Which is what the psalmist is driving at here. Well, first off, We see here as we as we get into verse one is that it it means that you avoid certain things. To be on a righteous path means that you are a person who is staying away, who's guarding yourself against certain things, right? It's interesting that he starts by telling us who and what the righteous person guards themselves from, who doesn't keep company with. Because we know that a person's character can be determined and can be shaped by both what they do and then what they don't do, right? That's all of us. And what the psalmist is saying is that godly character will not be formed in those who who keep company with and adopt the lifestyle of those whose life pursuits don't please God. What the psalmist does here is is he gives us a progression of how ungodliness unfolds in a person's life based on who they surround themselves with. You know, like your parents were always telling you, man, I just, I'm not comfortable with you hanging out with that person. I'm afraid they're going to rub off. I'm, I'm afraid they're going to be a bad influence on them. And then you would reply and say, well, I don't know, dad, Maybe, maybe how come you never consider that I'm going to be a good influence on them? And they would just stare at you after that, right? But they were concerned, right? Because they didn't want what was harmful to rub off and influence you negatively and get you off the path that they desired for you. So the psalmist describes what that path looks like based on the people that can surround you and influence you. And he talks about the wicked, the counsel of the wicked. What does he mean when he says that? Well, he's talking about people who have chosen to reject God's law in order to follow their own. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I know what I want to do. I know what I desire. That's the path I'm going to follow. And you know what? It leaves a path of destruction. And you know what? I don't care. That, that would be something that characterizes a wicked person. I don't care who I have to get through. I don't care who is hurt. I'm just going to get to where I want to go because all that matters is that I get to where I want to go. And then he talks about uh, the way of sinners. What does he mean when he says sinners? Well, he's talking about people that are marked by unrighteousness. People that are just marked and stained by living a lifestyle or making decisions that push against God's desires. Everything they do is in open rebellion against God. But then he talks about scoffers. Blessed is the man who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. And a scoffer would be somebody whose heart has become so hardened against God that they become desensitized to God. They, they, they not only are against the things of God, but they mock God. The things of God, and they mock people who have chosen to pursue the things of God. That would be a scoffer, right? Somebody who we would say is is kind of violently opposed to a, a believer or the things of God. And so what the psalmist is saying here is he's saying, Blessed is the person who doesn't live under the influence of and in the presence of those who don't live under the influence of and presence of God. Now again. This is not talking about removing yourself from the world. And holding yourself up like in a nuclear bomb shelter, like my grandpa built in the 1960s. He legitimately did that. You know, I wish I could tell you the story of that one day, but that's what he did, right? We got to, we got, we, there's a threat. We got to remove ourselves from it and we got to, we, we got to hold ourselves up. We got to make sure that we're safe, that we're protected against that for a nuclear, he may have needed to do that. I mean, that shelter sat empty, you know, for like 50 years. Nevertheless, that, that was fine, Right. But when we're talking about what it means for us to engage as Christians with the world, so to not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, doesn't mean that we just remove ourselves from having any influence on them. It says that we're not to be influenced by the direction and the trajectory of their lives and their heart. But God might use us in their lives, as we grow in maturity, to not be influenced negatively by them, to actually have the gospel reach them. So we want to be careful to understand and remember that we are called to be lights in dark places. What we're not called to do is walk, stand, or sit like those, not with those, but like those who live in disobedience to God. Ephesians warns us that we must no longer, this is Paul writing, he said, walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their own minds. He said, instead, imitate God by walking in love. So to walk in love means moving towards Jesus in everything that we do so that our heart becomes more like Jesus. And then everything your heart touches experiences the love of Jesus. That's what that means. So it gives us this stark contrast, right, to what it means to actually stand in the way of sinners, counsel of the wicked, sitting in the seat of scoffers, right? And by the way, when we are people that let that love that is shining in our hearts come out towards other people of who don't have that love, it breaks through the darkness. That's what that is when we walk in love, being imitators of Christ. So to be on a righteous path is to avoid certain things from influencing you and causing you to transition to a path that is not in pursuit of God. But then we read verse two, because it also tells us what it means to be on a righteous path, which is to pursue certain things. So we avoid certain things, but then we pursue certain things. We can't just be people that are avoiding all the time. So I grew up in a, in a particular kind of evangelical tradition where all they did was hammer all the stuff for me not to do. Well, well, how, but, but, but what do I do then? And I remember I used to ask this question to my youth pastor, God bless him. You keep telling us what not to do, but th- therefore there must be something to do. I mean, what do you want me to do? Just sit and like, just, I, like turn it off? Because that's not the answer. Right? We're not only to avoid things as Christians. We're not only to sort of like pull ourselves back and guard ourselves against things that can harm our faith. We should do that. But we need to use wisdom. We need to have maturity that also says, no, I also have to be pursuing very intentionally the things of God, the righteousness of God. Why? Because I'm not going to default into that. And in fact, if I'm static, If I just sit there and all I'm doing is has a mindset that's trying to avoid all those things. I'm actually going to fall. I'm going to be susceptible to falling into those things, right? This is what he says in verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. So the, the opposite of avoiding those things that can be a detriment to our faith is that we meditate on scripture We fix our thoughts on God. Those are active things, by the way. We direct our affection towards him. We look at the things in our life that are stealing our affection. And and, and we, we, we look at those things intensely and we say, what am I doing? Where am I going? We ask hard questions. We guard ourselves in that way, right? We express our gratefulness to him. We become people that instead of complaining all the time, Instead of just saying, man, I mean that's no surprise. That's the way things go. I knew that was gonna happen. I just described like half of my conversations this past week, right? So it takes one to know one. Instead of that, we we show our gratefulness, we express our gratefulness. We're people that say, you know what, the Lord is at work. Like, man, I know there's stuff going on. Man, there's stuff just breaking down in my life. There's stuff breaking down in my family's life. There's stuff breaking down in my friend's life. But the Lord is at work. Really, how is he at work, Ronnie? Give me a minute and I'm gonna come up with some ways. But I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it because he is doing something. That would be characteristic of the person that is pursuing a righteous path. The godly person is a God-minded person. And look, some of you might say, "I, I I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that, right? I have a job, man. I got things to think about and pursue. You get paid to do that, Ronnie, right? I'm gonna argue that you're already doing it. I'm gonna argue that we do it. We can't not not do it. I don't know if that was the right framing of a sentence, right? Because we all have a person, place, thing, or idea that our mind defaults to. Like do a mental survey if you're not sure how this plays out in your life. Do a mental survey. What's what's the first thing that your mind goes to? What's the first thing that you think about? And then ask yourself, why is that? Why does my mind just snap to that thing, that person, that event, that dream? you'll find that it's, it's simply really a matter of what your affections are most captured by. And what Psalm 1 is doing here is it's painting a picture of what you will find the f- affections of a blessed person who is on a path that pursues Jesus. You will find them to be this. They will be different than what the world snaps back to, what consumes their mind. We all do that with so many things in, in our life. If you sit down with Seinfeld fanatics, and I feel like I have so many friends that are, that are just, just so geeked out about that show, um, which it's fine. Li- I like it. Um, but what's funny is they're, they're just, they're, they'll be able to tell you everything about that show. Have you ever done that? right? Or maybe it's like the office or something like that. Um, they'll be able to tell you about all their favorite episodes. They have all these one liners. I mean, they're throwing a match and you don't even know they're like one liners from Jerry, but it's just how they talk, right? They'll tell you about all the cameo appearances, what, what Jerry's doing with his life now, right? Um, why, why do they know all that? Well, because they are delighted by the words of Jerry Seinfeld, right? They have become intimately acquainted with his work and his words. That's the difference between the righteous and the wicked is the righteous are becoming intimately acquainted with and growing in their desire of the things of God and in their affection for Jesus, right? Just to qualify, becoming acquainted with Seinfeld is not a mark of wickedness. Okay. Um, But there are consequences to our affections, right? They're they're not done in a vacuum. Nothing y'all do is done in a vacuum, Like the things that you love that consume you, they may be things that nobody knows about and they may not even be intrinsically bad in and of themselves like Seinfeld. But at some point they are going to be what marks the direction of your life. Right? If that makes sense. So then what are the results? Let's talk about that. We talked about what it looks like to be on a righteous path, and what, that, what it looks like to avoid certain things, what it looks like to pursue certain things. What are the results then of each of those things? Verse three, the one who pursues a righteous path is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and his leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So the results of pursuing a righteous path is that you're, you're planted, you're planted, you have deep roots in rich soil. You are positioned for growth. Not only that, but you're well watered. You, you become replenished through God's community and God's word and spending time with God. Your leaves are, are vibrant. They're bursting with color. You're somebody, that, you're somebody that, that looks and feels to another person like you've been spending time with Jesus you're well watered, you're fruitful, you're healthy, you're producing what's meant to be produced and you won't dry out, that fruit won't dry out on you. The the harsh climates of your life, unseasonable weather, right, that you experience, they don't threaten to destroy any, any of that, right? The characteristic of a righteous person is one who is fed well, bears good fruit, does not shrivel up and die when the going gets rough. A blessed person is someone to behold because what is beheld in them is nothing short of God and Jesus Christ himself. They're a reflection of the character and the qualities of God. Look at the imagery that they use for us here. It's so great. It really stirs the imagination which is what it's meant to do. A tree is something big in, unless it's a small tree, but I'm going with big, all right? So a big tree is something big, right? Oh, man. It's something, it's something beautiful, right? Somebody was shaking their head back there. I, I saw you and we're going to chat. Um, but a tree is meant to be something that causes people to look at it in wonder. It's supposed to be something for people to eat from, if it's fruit-bearing, to be shaded by. And then will remain standing through all the seasons. It prospers it perseveres, it's not a fake plastic tree. It shows signs that it's endured. It's weathered some storms, right? This is the result of being on the righteous path for us. What's the result of the unrighteous path? Verse four, the wicked are not so, they are not like those big, beautiful, fruit bearing, shady trees that benefit everybody around them. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away they are not weighty they are not deeply rooted they are not fruitful they're like chaff they're like bits of hay and straw they're like tumbleweeds is how I like to think of them which are just these tangled dried out brittle plants if you can call them that 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 crack and crumble at the touch there's no substance to them see how I got that one in there They're trees that have not been planted in good soil with deep roots. They have no roots. There's nothing to anchor them. So the wind carries them wherever it blows. And by the way, this was one of the Apostle Paul's fears when he wrote to the Ephesian church. He said, look, you have been taught the beauty and the truth of God's word so that you may no longer be children or or immature tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, this is what Paul says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So being on an unrighteous path means that we lack this deeply weighty rootedness in God and it shows, right? And the other thing that happens is that it it creates a further level of deceptiveness in, in our heart. Because being a tumbleweed can be deceptive, right? I grew up in the deserts of Southern California, loved it. Um, a common sight is, is watching drifting tumbleweeds when it gets windy. That's just a thing, right? But here's the thing about them is that they're not attached to anything, they're a dead tree. And if trees could talk, um, a tumbleweed might make the case to you that, yeah, it's just sort of rolling about, you know, the desert landscape, but it's also free to experience the world. It's also free to, be, uh, to, to experience a certain kind of, of a worldly experience that a tree planted in the ground lacks freedom to experience. You see the deceptiveness of not being on that path because the Bible describes the path of the unrighteous as broader. You have more room to like move and be free and a tumbleweed has all the room to be free and move whatever way that it needs to move. But it's just the opposite. What we see with the tumbleweed, isn't it? Because the healthy planted tree has the freedom to be what it was meant to be, which is a shady, beautiful, delicious fruit bearing creation. Well a lifeless tumbleweed has no choice but to go where the randomness of the wind carries it like Paul points out in Ephesians. It's the same when we pursue a path of our own desires, of our own choosing. Depending on what we take our delight in, by the way, we can sometimes feel like Christianity is so restrictive, so narrow. So we enjoy what appears to be the wider, more generous, less restrictive, more attractive path. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7. He said, either enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads where? To destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Don't you love how Jesus just is not trying to front you or con you? or sell you something, narrow, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We are so easily deceived in thinking that the easy way is the eternal way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I remember how much I loved um, roller coasters back in the day before they didn't make me nauseous for four days after I rode them. That's called old age, but that happened to me at 27 years old. Um, But roller coasters are exciting for a time because they're awesome, right? They're exhilarating, there's a lot of speed there, the wind is in your face, Um, you get this euphoric sense of freedom, that's why we like going on them. But after a while, if you wanna get philosophical while you're at Cedar Point, right? You realize, wait for it, you're not going anywhere. Actually, at the end of the day, all you're doing is racing through a series of predetermined loops and drops and turns. And every time you get back on, it's the same ride. Am I blowing your mind right now about roller coasters? When you're on a roller coaster, it's totally in control of your life. Oh, man. I'm bitter because I can't ride them. This is sounding bitter. But a roller coaster is taking you where it's going. If you ever want to get back to where you wanna go, if you ever wanna get back home, you have to get off. You have to get off that coaster. But what fruit were you getting at that time, Paul says in Romans, from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification And its end, eternal life. In the end, the fate of the unrighteous is this. Verse 5, they will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked will not stand on that day when they have to go before the Lord. But they will be pronounced guilty. They will be guilty. Nor will they be found in the congregation of God's people. They will be driven away unable to benefit from the blessings of being in God's favor and in God's presence. The Psalmist is saying, here are the two fates for mankind. There is no third, prosper or perish. And by the way, you know what's so hard about that? Is that sometimes those who are perishing look like they're prospering. It's like nothing seems to be happening to them, but me, the person that has chosen the narrow path, Seems to be struggling through all kinds of things. Well, and what that does is that pulls us back and it helps us redefine what we mean by prosper. It helps us redefine what we think that we are looking for in this world to give us a sense of that satisfaction that we talked about in the beginning, as opposed to God that says, Hey, I am going to walk with you through the valleys because there is an eternal weight of glory that is beckoning you and that is closer than you can possibly imagine when you look at your life and you focus out in light of all eternity. So the psalmist is giving us perspective and we need perspective. We need perspective. The righteous prosper. They continue to flourish in season, out of season. It doesn't mean they're not, they don't have stuff. It means they do have stuff, which is why there's a reason for them to prosper and to flourish in the midst of it. Or else why would they need to? They have good soil to grow deep roots because their lives are deep into the things of God and his word. It doesn't mean they get to avoid winter But it means they're planted in such good soil that they will endure the elements. They will produce fruit in their season. They won't shrivel up and die when the heat or the cold comes upon them. They persevere like you all do in winter. You're dreading it because it's coming, but you're going to persevere. Why? Because you're prepared for it. You're prepared for it. The way of the righteous, it ends well. Don't forget that. It ends well. If your faith is in Jesus and his righteousness, the end of your road in this life is simply the first step in an eternity with Jesus Christ. This changes everything you do and everything that happens to you if you follow the path of the righteous. This changes how you look at tragedy. This changes how you pursue success. Righteous people live like people who will never stop living. For the Christian in eternity with Jesus... It makes our troubles on earth momentary because they're leading to a momentous end. They also make our troubles have meaning because they are preparing us for a future where we will see the fruit of all that Jesus did in our lives that we don't have even hardly a clue about right now. All that Jesus did in our lives, all that Jesus allowed to happen, all the ways Jesus showed his love to us through the suffering That was a lot like what he endured, which is why we can turn to him and be reminded that he's sympathetic towards us. If we were to boil all this down, the way of the righteous is not a path, it's a person whose name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the path. That's what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples who just were not clocking into this thing. That's what he's trying to tell us who are just not getting getting this. The pursuit of a path is actually the pursuit of a person at the end of the day. It's the pursuit of none other than Jesus himself. Do the paths of your life, do they lead to that person? Do they lead to the person of Jesus and all that he is about? Because the righteous prosper because their pursuit is centered on an unfailing person. The fate of the righteous is to receive the faithfulness of God. But the wicked we're taught perish. If the righteous prosper, it means that the wicked perish. They have no branches. They have no roots or weight. They are not connected. They're like tumbleweeds. You see them for a minute and they're gone. They don't provide fruit or leaves or branches. They don't provide nourishment. They're not really good for anybody, right? When the wind comes, they aren't rooted. They're not anchored, but they are carried away into oblivion. The unrighteous receive the fate of those who don't bear any fruit. Jesus told parables about these people. And look, if I took a poll right now, none of y'all would likely say that you want to be like a fruitless tumbleweed. You'd all say, I want to be like a beautiful fruit bearing tree, Ronnie. Few people would look at the imagery of a tumbleweed and want their life to resemble chaff blown by the wind. And yet some of you are unknowingly on this path. I'm going long today. Okay. So let's buckle, buckle in one more notch. Cause this is a burden for me. This is a burden for the American church. Just because I'm preaching the gospel every week doesn't mean everybody in these chairs has received the gospel. And so when we ask the question, what path are you on? Like, dude, that is the question. Like, that is the question. Man, we love our community here. We love the way that we walk with each other through all kinds of things, the way we support each other, the way we love each other, and we do fun things together. We're creative together. But all of it is in the balance of this. I mean, you are either somebody who has received the goodness and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Or you're somebody who has not. So as the pastor of this church, that's the burden. That's the burden before all, making sure all the other stuff is in place. I want all of us to know the salvation of Jesus Christ, to be a church that is saved from destruction. Some of you will say, Martin, I am not wicked. I am not a wicked person. How does this even apply to me? How can you call people wicked, Pastor? Who are you to tell me what the right path is and whether I'm on it or not? Well, I mean, you're right. My opinion is not what is in view today or really any day. I am a lost and wicked person to my core, if not for the grace of God. If not that Jesus saved me, as Paul says, the chief of all sinners. But let me just tell you this, all right? You wouldn't have thought my life looked wicked before I knew Jesus. Why? Because self-righteousness is a disguise that comes wrapped in righteous clothing. It does not matter what I call you. And I'm not calling you anything. It only matters whether God declares you righteous or unrighteous. But unrighteousness, it's deceptive. It comes in the form of some things. It comes in the form of morality. Ronnie, I believe in the right things. I stand for truth. I don't know why I got a 1950s radio announcer voice when I say that, but it comes in the form of morality. I hold to those things, okay? It comes in the form of random acts of kindness. This is what makes me righteous. I give a lot of time toward people, Martin. I'm all about good causes and charities. I give my money toward people. In organizations that do good, I try to benefit people. That's awesome. It comes in the form of family values and traditions. Ronnie, I come from a family of faith. I will have you know that. I'm part of a church or family of churches my whole life that preach the truth. Don't tell me about what it means to be wicked. I've been with these people. I stand for these traditions. Okay. It comes in the form of political views. I care about the things that I think are good for our nation. I marry those things with Christianity. Isn't that the right thing? It's not. I work hard to preserve values that I think are good and biblical. Okay. It's like Psalm 1 is saying, okay. But that does not qualify you to be somebody who, in the end, on the last day, can stand before God... And have him say to you the only words that matter, which is, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you ain't got nothing in you to make that happen. There is not a righteous person on earth who does good and never sins. It says in Ecclesiastes 7.20. So let me leave us here. What Psalm 1 leads us to. Is wisdom and wisdom is found when we realize that nothing in and of ourselves is righteous we can only become righteous and then be righteous when we receive the righteousness that Jesus died to provide for us that's why he came that's why he lived that's why he died because all of our morality and all of our values they're rubbish without Jesus. It's not your righteousness that's worth anything. You know what it's like? It's like offering monopoly money to try to pay for something. Like go to all these today and just grab a bunch of monopoly money. Just see how they respond to you when you slap it down at the register. It purchases you nothing. If you are depending on your own goodness or your views, Or the good deeds that you've done to make you right with God. It's like trying to use monopoly money to make a purchase. We need the righteousness of Jesus. Which, by the way, comes to those who come to him and admit that they don't have their own. And they need his righteousness. It is heartbreaking what Jesus did. It is heartbreaking what he did. How he came and how he died. It is beautiful what he did. He paid it all. Will you keep playing this dangerous game by walking down a path that in the end leads to death? Will you instead receive the love and mercy and grace of Jesus and experience life everlasting with him? What path are you on? Stop. Stop screwing Around. in the path of righteousness is life and in its pathway there is no death Proverbs 12, 28 for the Lord knows the way of the righteous so the invitation for you today we're going to take communion here in a minute is to look very closely and deeply at the path that you may be on. And listen very closely to what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you, might be revealing to you. Because we want you connected on a path that is in actuality a person and his name is Jesus. And you know what? We have some people that would love to sit down with you and talk with you about that if this has stirred you. Doesn't have to be today. You can send one of the elders an email. We can get a cup of coffee with you. You can pull myself, you can pull Jeff, you can pull Scott, you can pull Zach off to the side. We will find a a place where there's no noise to chat with you. We wanna hear where you're at. We wanna show you compassion. We want to point you to Jesus. Because we love you. And we want to reflect the love that Jesus has for you. What path are you on? Today can be the first day of a life that is in pursuit of the things that bring life and joy. I hope it is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these really good, really hard words. Very reflective words. God, I pray that your spirit would do a work surface in us what needs to be surfaced. You would lead us to confession and repentance, even as we get ready to take communion, Lord, that you would do some hard work in our hearts. You would lead us back to the path of righteousness, which is the person of Jesus. Do that for us today, we ask in his name. Amen.